welcome, welcome. So this is Monday's Chat and Chill. Steady pace ride. We're going to be at one and a half to two watts per kilogram. The leader will keep the pace here. I'm not going to be chasing anyone who wants to go harder off the front. Thanks for all of you who joined us, many people on Discord. We can have a good conversation. Topic for today. I've been reading quite a bit about fatigue and I have been working with a lot of my athletes on fatigue. So the more I learn about it, the more interesting it gets just because there are so many different causes for fatigue. And some of them might even surprise the writers. Some of them might be in a background. Because we think about training and we think about how we might get tired from all the uh, sessions that we do. But there could be quite a bit going on. So, thought that would be a good topic for today. We'll approach the topic of fatigue from it's many facets, right? There are many causes for fatigue. We'll cover here physiological causes, including training, nutrition, hydration, and we'll include psychological causes, mental fatigue. You know, what your mind can do and how your mind can help uh, or not help um, with uh, how you feel on the bike. Hey, Rich, thanks for joining. So there is, from a scientific standpoint, if you were to look for the definition of fatigue, you would find dozens of them. And the reason for that is typically each expert, each scientist will be doing a research on their topic of interest within fatigue. So some scientists will be looking at um, what's the effect of heat and cold in fatigue for athletes. Others will be looking at nutrition exclusively. Others will be looking at muscle damage. So, of course, because, you know, it's their specialty, it's their area, they'll do a PhD, they'll do a thesis on it. But, I, you know, over time, and I think lately, more and more of these uh, researchers are bringing in the holistic approach that it's a combination of things. So, I guess it can be easily defined, not easily defined, but generally defined as, you know, things that impair your performance on sports. On, and here we're talking about the bike specifically, but sports in general. So it can be in the physiology, it can be changes in muscle cells, it can be metabolic changes, it can be changes in movement and efficiency on a bike. We'll get into that in a little more detail. Changes in temperature, 
Jesus and nutrition, biomechanics. Those are all physical possible causes of fatigue. And then the psychological limiters. So, um, let's start with start with physical causes of fatigue and training specifically. Training and recovery. <laughs> and we talked about training and recovery before. But some of those causes I think are quite intuitive for riders because while they're training, they know, hey, I'm tired. Or they go out and they hard they ride super hard a couple days in a row and they find that the legs are not responding well after that. So intuitively you know that you're getting tired from all those sessions. And we all know too that you need to work hard to stimulate growth. You need changes in your training routine to spark growth and development. Now, the hard training session is only the stimulation for your, for your growth. Recovery is when it all happens. So if new riders, let's take new riders as an example. If they start ramping up their training too fast, that's gonna be one of um, the causes of fatigue, right? So um, looking back, do we have new riders? People who have started training recently on Discord here? We're all experts. <laughs> we're, all, we're, <laughs> we're all seasoned right? You, you didn't say expert or, or inexpert. Be ready for a while. So I'll use myself as an example when I started. When I started riding, I started riding already with training right away. So, <laughs> Bueller, anyone? Bueller? <laughs> So, I started riding, um, I was doing other sports, not cycling. So, when I started cycling, I went straight with a uh, group coaching program. And what I did was, I started with two workouts a week and one easy ride. And those were super short. I mean, the workouts were an hour long. But then... The endurance ride was fairly short. Started with 30 minutes, 45 an hour. So I was training three hours a week to begin with. Had plenty of rest in between. So that was a good way and I ramped it up very slowly. And the rule of thumb to ramp it up is to increase by about 10% each time. So yeah, so then you, you have enough recovery in between, etc. Now, so that's for a, a new rider. For an experienced rider, and this is where we've all, I think, been guilty of is uh, riding too much. What does it mean to ride too much? You're on a bike all the time, all the time. And 
And maybe you want to write every day, and that's possible. You can do it. But you need those recovery days. So let's say what we see typically with experienced writers that are training with some structure, we see a typical week might look like um, weekend of rides. Well, let's start with a Monday, actually. Monday off. Tuesday, an intensity workout. Wednesday, an easy spin or an endurance space. Zone 2, 60 to 70% of FTP. On Thursday, another intensity workout. Friday, easy spin or day off. Saturday, Sunday. Saturday, a harder ride. Sunday, endurance ride, which might be a long one. We go out with the club, etc. Now, if you're really following that schedule, you have ups and downs. So you have your intensity rides, you have recovery, intensity recovery, all built in. The other way that a week might look like for an experienced rider is, and this is what I do, Monday off or an easy spin. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are workout days. Friday off, Saturday, Sunday workout days. So the danger is in those recovery in between, recovery days. A lot of riders have a hard time doing a recovery day. They feel like they're not working, they should be doing more. Um, plus there's a good feeling, right? There's a good feeling of, hey, I worked hard today, I feel good. I got the dopamines going, I got everything. But if you go on a recovery ride, let's say in Zwift by yourself, you might feel tempted to do that just one little sprint, you know, just one. And then you do a second one. But hey, it's super easy in between. So it's gotta still be a recovery ride. And you look at your power file, if you're the kind of writer who analyzes your, your power, and you might say that in total for that one hour, let's say that you were writing, it wasn't hard. But guess what? All those sprints that you did every, I don't know, 15 minutes, they have a cost. They will take a toll. That is no longer a recovery ride. Any comments on that? <sighs> Sounds quite familiar. Sounds quite true. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing I find with Zwift is I can, be, I can be quite disciplined, but if there's a little pack just up ahead, I think I wouldn't mind a tow round just to get the uh, speed up and the mileage up without any more effort. So you just sneak onto the back of that pack, you know, settle in for a bit, find your way, find your way to the front. Hmm, there's another pack up ahead there. Perhaps I'll go and join them, etc. So it's not necessarily spin, but you just push the power up a little bit mm -hmm. um, for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It's fun. 
you know, it's good fun, but it might not be what the body needs. Well, it takes the boredom out of a super easy ride. True enough. Let's face it, you're just, you're just, especially in Zwift. If you're by yourself, just riding around, easy, you sort of get bored. I know I do, and that's why I started this ride. <laughs> so at least there could be something about it that could make it more interesting and appealing to being in an easy, you know, pace. But I have to say, I've seen so many times writers that I work with, I look at their files. So they come to me and they say, I'm tired, you know, I'm fatigued. Well, let's look at your week. Let's look at your couple of last, you know, last couple of weeks. And really, the recovery rides are not recovery at all. It's either a higher pace or sprints sneaked in there or just that one KOM. <laughs> <laughs> Active recovery, if you feel like you want to work a little more, you could do, let's say, so the, the recommendation for a recovery ride is 45 to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. It can be 30 minutes. And keep it in zone two, keep it below 65% of FTP. In terms of proof that an easy spin helps with recovery, there is no established link between, like scientifically speaking, right, with tests that have been done and research that an easy spin actually helps with recovery. Physiologically speaking, Nevertheless, most riders I know will tell you that it helps. I think it does. I feel better. But there's no harm in doing it, so as long as you stick to it. Um, going back to that example that you had, Tim, on group rides. Yeah. Before, before you know it, you're riding somebody else's ride. Well, a group, a group ride is okay. I think yeah. if you pick the right one and it's properly managed in pace such as this one, I think the problem is um, it's not so much group rides. It is the solo riding and you get carried away. Yeah. If you've got a well-led group ride at the right pace, you're golden. I do actually favor those kind of rides for the discipline. Right. So how do you know that you're truly fatigued? Because then you, um, you need to have, right? You need to build some fatigue to build growth, to build, to have the adaptation that you want to improve and then recover. So how do you know if the fatigue that you're carrying is quote-unquote good fatigue because you'll be able to recover and you'll come back to it. And how do you know if it's too much? So let's say, let's take an example. Let's say that you do not work with data. 
and you, you don't do training peaks, you don't analyze any files, but you have the week that you go and you, you do your workouts or some, you know, or maybe you get workouts from your coach, um, but there's no individual analysis of your data. So typically when you go do a workout, the warm-up might be a good indicator if that's going to be a good day on a bike, if the legs are going to respond. Or you might feel already sort of sluggish in the warm-up. Any experiences with that, with the warm-up? So I guess the question is, when... Um, you might want to pull the plug on a workout because you're too tired. How do you know? Sometimes the warm-up is a good indicator. Especially if you do the same warm-up for every workout. You can kind of tell. Sometimes... It's not. Sometimes you need that first interval. Because on that given day, it might take you a little while to warm up. I also think um, the older I get, the more warm up I need. I don't know if others feel the same way. But um, I wouldn't mind a 20 minute warm up. I would say it takes me 20 minutes to get going, really. Mm -hmm. Sounds about right. Whether it's out on the road or on Swift, 20 minutes before I'm firing all cylinders. Yeah, so sometimes you need, and sometimes it's not until you're done with the first interval of a workout that things might feel really good. So give, give that time. Give it until that first interval and see how it goes. If a coach is looking at your data, you know, there's a lot of indicators. There's training stress score for the week. There's all the build of your workouts. There's recovery built in. There's a graph that shows how tired you are. If you're in form, positive or negative, all of those things. Mm -hmm. But nothing replaces how you're feeling because those numbers don't say that. They, they, the numbers would predict how you should be feeling, but is that really what you're feeling? What the numbers do not incorporate is everything else that might be going on in your life. Maybe you had a horrible night of sleep. Maybe you're going through some stress at work or any kind of stress all of those things will affect how you feel or like me last summer you got a new puppy and you're just carrying that puppy around walking non-stop <laughs> all of those activities add up everything adds up and you might feel more tired than normal. So, 
going back to the workout, you go to do a, uh, an intensity workout. If you're able to finish the workout, let's say that you're feeling terrible. You're feeling so tired, like crap, but you're able to push through. What that tells me is that there's fatigue, but it's not to the point that you need extra recovery. Yes, it was a tough session. There's some fatigue built in, but you're still okay because you're able to complete the workout even if you're not right there at the target power for the intervals. As long as you're within 5% of that, up or now or down, it's fine. So with that, you might need the next day off, but you don't need a lot of days off after it. And that goes back also to, or actually points out to overtraining or overreaching. I think um, a lot of people have a misconception of what overtraining is. It's something more serious. It's something more intense. Overtraining and overreaching is when you need a week or more of rest not just a few days. So I won't get to that topic. Oh. So Kenley is saying here on Facebook that that's exactly how it goes for her doing the warm-up. And then Linda was saying that she did the VO2 max workouts a couple weeks ago. Two days earlier, she had a race. So she was tired during the warm-up, and the first interval hurt, but then, and then in the second one, the legs didn't respond at all. Yeah, when that happens, you just quit the workout. If you see that you can't complete the intervals, it's just not, it's just, it's fine, pull the plug. No big deal, let that go. And then, once you turn off, Let's say Swift, don't think about it anymore. Even if you did a whole session and it didn't feel like it was great, don't, don't think about it too much. Um, but it's good to enter notes, I would say. If you have a training diary, that can be super helpful because over time, you can really connect the dots on what's making you tired. Over time, you can really see, oh, you know what? I didn't sleep well. A couple nights in a row, etc. All that information is important. And you'll be, you start to know yourself more and more as, a, uh, as an athlete. So we talked about training. And let's get a little bit into nutrition. More often than not, nutrition is to blame for a bad session on the trainer. 
believe it or not. Hydration too. Hydration plays a role, but think of it this way. You're waking up super early in the morning to do a workout or you're doing it in the evening after work. If you're not well fueled for a high intensity workout, you'll be in trouble. So you might think you're fatigued. You might think that, oh, my training isn't working. I'm not getting stronger. But it could really be nutrition. Over the winter, a lot of people want to lose a couple extra pounds or kilos. So changes in diet affect that. If you have a freaking dieting um, and high training volume, it's going to be really hard. So when you have rapid shifts in your weight and you increase the stress from training, you could get sick. Too many fasted sessions on a trainer. So I'm not going to get into the, <laughs> the debate of the types of diets and fasted, non-fasted. That could be a whole different topic for a whole different, you know, an hour worth of discussion. But the truth is, if you're doing a hard training session, your body needs to have you know, enough glucose in the blood. You need to have enough of the carbs to be able to fire up your legs and achieve the goal of the workout. So if you like to limit your carb intake, I encourage you to cycle that through depending on the type of training that you have that day. And if it's a hard training session, you're gonna need more carbs, no doubt. But it, it also, it is, a, it is a goal thing because if you are in the off season and performing on that specific training session isn't as important, because really, if you limit your carb intake and you don't have enough glucose in your blood for your hard intensity session on the trainer, that's long term. You're going to sacrifice um, the outcome of that session. So if you have a workout super early in the morning, eat something that will support that session the night before. Because some people have a hard time eating first thing in the morning. Or if you do want to eat something in the morning for an intensity session, do something that's quick, quickly absorbed by your body. So a banana, glass of orange juice are good examples.
for the evening workout after work. Here we go again. Go ahead. Does somebody have a comment? So for an evening workout after work, might do it before dinner. We talked about this a little bit last week, I think. If you can work out before dinner, that's better. Just because working out too close to bedtime, you might still have high levels of adrenaline, cortisol. It's going to be hard to fall asleep. But then if you know you're going to do that session, start preparing for it after lunch. Start hydrating. And then eat a good snack mid-afternoon. And then something just before you get on the bike. Just so you have some food on board. So Kangley made a comment here. It's a mind game. So let's talk about the mind game. You might have heard of Dr. Tim Noakes, a scientist in South Africa. He was the first one to bring in the mind and the brain into the equation a long time ago. And more and more other scientists are incorporating that concept into determining fatigue. So when you think about the brain and the mind and the work that it has when you're working out, the conclusion is that the mind tells us to stop before the physical point of failure. Our minds are there so that we don't kill ourselves <laughs> exercising. So we don't go out in the heat and work out to exhaustion and get heat stroke and die, right? Our minds are our thermostats in terms of what's going on. So yeah, the mind is very important in limiting what we do. So Dr. Tim Noakes, going back to him, he says, right, the mind is good. Um, the mind will tell you how hard you're willing to work. So the body, what happens is you have, you have like a system that becomes a constant communication. The body is constantly assessing, the body and the mind working together assessing what's going on and deciding, do we go or do we stop? Do we keep going or do we stop? Do we decrease intensity or can I keep the intensity? And that conversation between the body and the mind goes something like this. Okay, how is my fuel level? Am I hydrated enough? Am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Do I have enough glycogen? Is it too cold? Is it too hot? You know, what's going to happen if I continue? What's going to happen if I stop? Should I stop? So that just keeps going on. We know that, right? 
we've been out there. But there's the constant, let's say, model that the body builds real time to integrate all the data, all the information and signals from the body. So the mind certainly, so knowing that the body will tell us to stop way before the physical point of failure tells us that, well, that wall, we stopped before that wall. We stop, we stop before, that means we probably have more to go or we can give more. So how do you train your brain so that you work harder? There are some techniques. Um, I've worked with Nate Last, who is a uh, mental skills coach. He coaches athletes on how to use their brain to be able to overcome the difficulties of training and racing, etc. So there's some, there's some things you can do. But here's the interesting thing for you to think about. Studies have shown that, have showed that our brains learn very quickly what we can and cannot do. Meaning, what we do in training. So let's say you do I don't know, an hour at 100 watts, okay, in training sessions. Your brain knows that. So when you go outside, even if you don't have your power meter, even if you don't have your bike computer, giving you that feedback, chances are you're going to stay within that limit. They've done a study where they had two groups of athletes. One, so they, both groups were supposed to do a time trial. One group had feedback on their numbers, immediate feedback of how they did, um, what their power was, etc. Time. The other group had nothing, and they had to do it a couple of times. They had to do the time trials, I think, four times. So the group with the data did the same every single time. Same power. So those riders had that data and they, they kept. They were pretty good at keeping at that. The group without data, the first time they did the time trial, they went a little harder. But the second, third, and fourth time, they were almost exactly what they always do in training. So the brain is really good at knowing what can and cannot do. And what you do in training just stays seared in the mind.
So I guess you could think about, about this two ways. One way is, well, if you train super hard and you know your numbers, you can use that to your advantage. And in fact, you should, right? Because you don't want to quote unquote blow yourself up. But at the same time, you should know that that knowledge is also a limiter that you can perhaps push a little further. Here's a good example. The one K to go. You're in a race or an event and you have that final kilometer. All of a sudden you feel like you're re-energized and you're like, that's the end. I'm going to get there. And you get excited and all of a sudden you have this new spike of energy and you go harder. And if it's a race, then you just throw it down, go all out. So that's a perfect example for how your mind works. Any thoughts or comments on, on the psychological side of it? What if, what if that doesn't happen? What if you're in a race going, I'm holding on for dear life. And the one K flag's there and you're like, I don't have it. <laughs> then what? <laughs> well, you could uh... argue that you need to drink from it. You need to get to an exhausted state. Which is where, like you're saying, fatiguing, feeling fatigued mentally or and coming to do your warm-up and then going and doing a workout, is that such a fine line because you do want to do workouts in a fatigued state because you want to know you can perform when you're tired, but then you also have to avoid that over-training and everything. So that's a good point, Andy. So let's take that sprints workout as an example. A lot of the sprints workouts have you do the sprints from the beginning of the workout and that's all you do and you have plenty of rest in between. When in reality, you're going to have to sprint when you're already tired. So having workouts that build that in will help with that adaptation over time to throw it down at the end doesn't mean you're going to turn into a world class world class sprinter no that's a different debate right you know there's the debate of are you a naturally born sprinter or not but you can get really good at it if you train that way so that, that I read an interesting article that yeah. said those sprints at the end of a session Say, you know, you put in a couple of sprints at the end of whatever session you're doing when you're tired are more about the mental approach than they are about getting better. Because it's telling yourself, I can still do this when I'm tired, where it has no real physical purpose because you're not building any strength, because you're not, it's not a quality workout or it's not a quality element of that workout. It's more a mental thing to put in a sprint at the end of a, a workout. Okay. That's fair, Andy. So you're building that, that connection. Your brain, it goes back to that knowledge that we were talking about. Your brain knows that you can do that at the end because you're doing it in training. 
got to be both. It's got to be, well, learning how to work on that on those depleted legs. <laughs> but then, but then you also yeah. need to think about: Are you going to go one k out, or are you going to go thirty seconds out? Depending on the type of rider that you are, too. Pat, what do you think? Uh, getting in an interval here, but yeah, sometimes I go even earlier. But you need the mental strength to do it. You need to be able to know you can make it. Right. But I think it's good. I mean, at the end of the workout, it's always good to check it out. I know somebody who's on Discord right now who has been doing that <laughs> at the end of workouts and doing those big sprints and then she's been replicating that in your Divas race um, and winning. <laughs> who might that be? Okay, so a little bit more on all the reasons outside of training that might be causing fatigue. We talked about work, stress, poor sleep. That one is really big. Sleep has a very important effect on the quality of training. Little sleep, poor sleep. How much sleep do you need? Athletes need more than non-athletes. Schedule your sleep if you can, just like you would everything else in your life. Easier said, I know, there's so much going on, especially if you do not live by yourself and have a family or a demanding work and somebody schedules that darn conference call at 11 p.m. because we're dealing with a different time zone I think a, a rule of thumb is if you do a hard training session on fewer than six hours of sleep I think six hours is the cutoff that you wouldn't get the same results or the same benefits. Although studies do show if you have one bad night of sleep, that alone is not going to affect your performance, let's say on race day. Or if you have two or more, it's a different story. Sorry, Tay, I was breathless when you were referring to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, <laughs> our chance sprinter. I was, oh, brother. <laughs> as far as the sleep thing, no I thought I'd chime in and team. say teenagers are also 
a little crazy on the sleep thing because suddenly you have these people who want to stay up till midnight and you have to get up at five for your workout. So that's a little oh. tricky. Oh, yeah. I am not looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, my the daughter sprint, had a... The sprint, sprint thing. Yeah. Lays time in. Uh, yeah, I've been practicing that. Um, you know, putting in a all-out stand-up sprint at the end of a VO2. And I guess it has helped me on Odivas. But I did a, a real race on Saturday. And, uh, you mean outdoors? I don't know. Yeah, yeah what is weird? Uh, sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> it was outside. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's like you think you're prepared and then everything goes out the window. Um, probably chased too many fake breakaways and burned a few too many matches. And at the end, I had a chance to win it and um, just kind of got edged out at the line, took third. Oh. Oh. But yeah, then you replay it in your brain. Totally could have won that. You know, why didn't I do this? Times. Why didn't I do that? Oh, it's so stupid. But yeah, so now I'm really frustrated. So there you go. Don't you be prepared. And then, you know, it's, but see, it's easier when you look back and you say, yeah. that, you know, when you're out there in the heat yep. of the moment, you're in the hurt locker. Yeah, it's it's really hard to just just have a. Uh, super cold brain that would say, well, we've been doing this so far and now let's do that <laughs> yeah. because we've done it before. <laughs> I was, was thinking, what easy. if you had a coach in your ear, like a pro that said, do this, and you're like, okay, I'll do that. But, like a yeah, director sportif on your, on your little radio. <laughs> Telling in you in real that. life, that 1K looks like two miles, you know? You're right. like, oh my gosh, that's so long. But... Yeah, it's good stuff you learn, right? Yes, yes. But it's been it's been working for you, Tiffany, for sure. Thank and, you. Um, yeah. So after a VO two session, like right after the intervals are done, or at the end of the let's say the last interval, and you're still like breathless, and then you go out. I've just been adding it the end one. Like sometimes I try to time a two minute. Uh, VO2 up the short hill in Watopia and then I stand up for the last 200 meters all out yep. it's almost easier to do on the trainer because you're probably not going to crash yeah. <laughs> you know? yes that's, there's that you can fall on your handlebars and still not crash so yeah not that I know much these guys know way more than me Takes practice. No, thanks for your comments there. The other thing that saps energy is travel. Travel for work or consultant life. Yeah. 
being on an airplane is hard. It's very demanding on your body. And it probably gets dehydrated. Um, so travel can be really hard. Especially if you have, of course, multiple time zone changes. Restricting one of the food groups. So if you are vegan, keto, low fat, whatever you follow, it can get tricky. Again, I'm not going to get into details on that. And then there's one, going back to the mental thing. Many athletes are overthinkers. Perfectionists. And uh, very hard on themselves. So this only works to a point. You're probably very disciplined when it comes to training, etc. But then you might be self-sabotaging. You're getting in your own way. I know I'm a good example of that. Sometimes I just wish I could turn off my brain. So Linda is saying that part of the reason she works out after a day at work is that she needs to come up with power endurance when my brain is tired, she's saying, and trying to get me to stay on the couch. Well, the other thing about working out after a workday is clearing up your mind. Relieve stress. So anyway, thinking about your training and how hard you work and hard and ride, etc. If you have weeks that are building, so tra your training ramps up, everything else should ramp up with it. Your food intake, your sleep, to support that additional training load. Otherwise, you might find yourself sick. If you have too many colds over the year, that's a sign your immune system is taking a toll on everything that you're doing. Do people take vitamins or specific supplements? There's some theories out there that say that athletes might need certain vitamins more than other, you know, the general population. Is anyone a fan of, I don't know, herbs, vitamin C, anything like that? Vitamin C every day. Multivitamin every day. So I take zinc, 
and I take magnesium every day. And <laughs> recently, as a result of a blood test, vitamin D, because I haven't seen the sun in months. <laughs> Time to move. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to be vacationing permanently in California, Pat. Be nice. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> So we have a couple of podcasts on many of these topics that we talked about. Um, the Coach's Corner. So this ride actually becomes a podcast as long as we're talking about something that people might want to hear. But um, <laughs> when we have guest speakers or when we have a topic like the one today, um, we save this as a podcast. So there are past podcasts on many of these topics and also the Coach's Corner podcast, which uh, is a podcast that the coaches of the Endurance Lab, including myself, put together at the end of every week on topics that come up with the athletes that we coach, hot topics um, of the week. And those are usually of general interest for cyclists and triathletes so check it out it's the endurance lab on youtube on uh, itunes but also other podcasts uh hosts so julie's asking which electrolytes do people like best so julie i'll answer for myself um i like scratch labs because there's a good ratio of not only the electrolytes but also the carbs to absorb to help with absorption in the gut. Been using it for years. Others that people use? Oh, there's a few noons out there. Yep. Sometimes you can get just the drops that are exclusively electrolytes, nothing else. Just your potassium, sodium, without any carbs. There's a variety of those out there. I think Hammer has one of those. I know J-Flow likes to mix a little bit of maple syrup with salt in the bottle for sessions on the trainer. So you don't have to pay a small fortune for <laughs> your electrolytes. Oh no, it's a small fortune when you're making pancakes for the kids and you're out of syrup. Yeah, there you, you go. Pay that, you pay that way sometimes. True. The, the one that you mentioned, Pat, the noon. Yeah, there's also one. another one. It's, yep. The name's escaping me right now. 
Which one is us? Stacy Sims. Osmo. Osmo. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. So I've used Osmo too. And Osmo has... It, it differentiates between men and women for hydration needs. Dr. Stacy Sims, the creator of Osmo, specializes in nutrition and hydration for women. Um, she's got a great book out there called Roar. Really good book. And but I found that for me, Osmo, I need I need more salt than what Osmo has. But I know a bunch of people can use it. Yep. So Julie, yes, um, a couple of people on the right here use the uh, the noon that you're saying, and. They've used, they've used it. It's all they use with, uh, with success uh, for long rides or short. I think the only thing about that one is if you don't mind the fizz, right? The bubbles. <laughs> I tend to not like that. So that's why I don't use it. But it's really easy to carry that one around, as Linda's saying, yes. too. All you have to do is drop those tablets in the water. Really easy. No scooping powders. No baggies, just very easy. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's got um, enough of what you need for your hydration. Of course, super hot days require a little more, but that's a different different topic, so. Yeah, I would say I've used it before. And struggled with it on longer rides. It doesn't have any carbs in it. And uh, I know the carbs help with absorption. That's a big topic, for example, that Scratch Labs and uh, Osmo bring in, in your theory is you need the right ratio of certain carbs in there for maximum absorption. So it might not work for everyone if you only have the electrolytes. Well, thanks everyone for joining. That's the end of our ride. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Very good. See you next week. Yeah. Cheers, everyone. See you next week. You can do it. Put your back into it.